Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, nursing professor, and mom of four teens. I'll serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. We will explore health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. My co-host for this series will be Pastor Brian Haynes, who will guide us through the spiritual impacts and help us grow our faith. Let's explore conversation keys together and get started. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Dr. Nurse Mama Podcast. Today, we're talking about substance abuse. How to Accept Truth with Grace and Courage. I hope you have your copy of Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We're talking about book chapter six here. Well, this is tough, friends. This is really, really tough. Substance abuse, addiction. This is an issue that has intrinsically shaped the course of my life. It's very personal to me. In Behind Closed Doors, I share how I discovered the genetic nature of addiction during my master's program as a pediatric nurse practitioner, and I share with you some of my personal family story. Those of you living this, I get it. I really, really do. Whether you know it or not, all of us know someone struggling with addiction. So whether or not you're in a season of close personal struggle or you're just on the periphery, there is wisdom here for all of us to gain. So let's dive in. Go with me for a minute. Let's do a thinking exercise together, okay? I want you to think about the phrase drug addict. Let that sit for just a minute. Drug addict. I want you to picture someone in your mind's eye, a real person. What do they look like? Where are you picturing them? What does their hair look like? Their skin? Their clothes? Their demeanor? What do you picture them doing? Once you have that picture clear, I'm going to venture to predict that most of you pictured two different kinds of people. Some of you pictured a junkie with dirty clothes, dirty hair, on a street corner buying pills or using IV drugs. We've all seen that. Some of you pictured someone very real, you know, and love. See, these are the faces of the opiate crisis and the drug crisis we have today. While there are the kinds of people and situations we see on TV shows like cops, there is another side to addiction. It doesn't start that way. People don't go from absolutely fine and healthy to the next day living in the street and shooting up heroin. Addiction is a long and gritty road. It's a process that happens along a continuum, and the best outcomes happen with early intervention. See, some people who struggle with addiction, they dress nicely, they have good jobs, 
they're well-respected in their community, and they hold leadership positions in their community of faith. They talk to you, impress you, make you feel special, and they gain your admiration. Addiction by its very nature is secretive. When people first start using substances, having everything together on the outside is a way to cope and give themselves assurance that using these substances is not negatively impacting them or the people around them. If this person is in your family, your spouse, your teen, your parent, your friend, your loved one, someone in your close circle, it quickly becomes your job to reflect perfection. This strengthens the illusion that substance use is not harming anyone or anything. In fact, it's helping, right? The loved ones around the person struggling with addiction become the shield, the wall, the fortress behind whom they can hide. If you become brave enough to speak out and to speak truth about the ways in which substance abuse is harming your relational ecosystem, it becomes the job of the person using substances to discredit you. You may have experienced this with someone in your life growing up, or you may be experiencing it with your teen or someone else close to you now. If you deliver a clear message that essentially says, you are using substances, it is harming you, me, and the relationships around us, and it is not okay for this behavior to continue. If you deliver that message, these are the messages you'll probably get back. You're a liar. What I'm doing is okay because, insert a million excuses here. You just want to hurt me. Why do you hate me? Then that person will try to discredit you to everyone you know about anything you do and everything you say. Why? So that when you speak truth about substance abuse, no one will believe you. Parents, confronting your teens about substance abuse requires courage and strength. You must speak truth and hold fast to it. Families struggling with addiction have very predictable coping mechanisms and sibling order characteristics. Families with addiction are stretched to the breaking point. It's inevitable, but it's also cyclical. You may have broken relationships and then cycle back to seek unhealthy relationship patterns, which are oddly comforting. See, we know the expectations in those relationship dynamics. We know that the only thing predictable in addiction is unpredictability, and we start to crave that. We know how to protect ourselves, how to stay safe, how to read every micro-cue in communication and act accordingly. We all adopt a role in propping up a codependent ecosystem, and we tell ourselves, If I stop playing this role, the family will fall apart and it will be my fault. Speaking truth, being vulnerable, and voicing any emotional needs you may have are things that are inherently frightening to our construct of security. See if any of these roles sound familiar to you. 
the person addicted, the focal point of the family around which every interaction will center. Everything rises and falls around the behaviors and choices of this person. Maybe you're the caretaker. This is a codependent person who constantly rationalizes the choices and behaviors of the person struggling with addiction. They compensate for them, cover for them, defend them, negotiate conflict for them, and guilt trip other family members into complying with family unspoken norms and rules, mainly refusing to acknowledge the substance abuse and the resulting destructive relational dynamics. It's important to remember this isn't malicious, but a coping mechanism that often leaves you unable to see the destructive nature of this behavior. Maybe you're like me, the hero in the story. This person is an overachiever, overly responsible, very self-sufficient, and they try to redeem the family dynamics by overcompensating and trying to live up to the expectations of the person addicted, who usually takes credit for supporting the hero to achieve their accomplishment. The hero may try to lead efforts to help the addict overcome their addiction. And it's unfortunate for me because this is dysfunctional, but my method of dysfunction happens to be more socially acceptable than others. Maybe you're the scapegoat. This person is the problem child, the black sheep of the family. They make poor choices and behave destructively. These acts of defiance divert attention away from behaviors of the person addicted. How can substance use be a problem when we are dealing with fill-in-the-blank? Maybe you're the mascot. This person is the family comedian and seeks to diffuse tension through charm and humor, lessening the stress felt by the family. Maybe you're the lost child. This person is the quiet one, the forgotten one, the one who is often neglected physically and emotionally. They just try to fly under the radar. Families with addiction develop unspoken rules like these. No one is allowed to talk about the person struggling with addiction. And if someone tries to bring it up, you deflect, deny, and defame in that order. Conflict is often triangulated. When there is conflict in the primary relationship between you and the person struggling with addiction— a third person often becomes the mediator, taking sides in the conflict. This increases tension in the family dynamic as a whole. It can cause stress in your marriage, resentment from siblings, using passive-aggressive language as normative, scapegoating, pressures for perfection, and on and on and on. Listen, as soon as this podcast is over, I want you to go to chapter six of Behind Closed Doors. See the world your teen is facing. Just say no, didn't work. Scare tactics absolutely don't work. But there are strategies that do work. Learn the signs of substance misuse, abuse, and the road to addiction. Learn what to do and when and how to do it. But for now, I have three important messages for you. First, if you grew up with addiction, 
If addiction is deeply ingrained into your family norms, it doesn't matter if you are not addicted to that particular substance. If you did not relearn different ways of relational norms and communication, if your father was an alcoholic and you are a teetotaler, that pattern of addiction can be transferred to something seemingly benign, like work. And you still may relate in ways that involve triangulation and unhealthy coping mechanisms and personas. Are you still the scapegoat, the lost child, the caretaker, the mascot, the hero? Friend, if you've never faced the damage done to you by someone else's addiction, now is the time. You owe it to yourself and to your family to seek healing. Second, If your teen is struggling with addiction or another family member, you have to realize it impacts everyone in your family ecosystem. By doing what you think you need to do to help your child who is struggling, you may be unintentionally harming your other children's emotional and relational development. Now is the time to courageously face the future with truth and courage to find victory and freedom from substances and healthy boundaries. Third, if you are in recovery or supporting someone through recovery, know that relapse happens. Relapse is an expected event. Don't give in to feelings of failure and wonder if recovery was real. Just be grateful for those good days and memories you have and move forward into recovery equipped with hope and confidence to place healthy boundaries while rebuilding trust. In Behind Closed Doors, I wrote this in my personal story. The dangerous combination of bearing the unrelenting burden of propping up our pedestal, our family history, and our home's culture of silence on real issues collided with easy access through friends to substances that gave my brother temporary relief from his pain. I realized the feared danger here was not physical injury or death, very real threats, but the fatal social injuries of falling off our pedestal. Friend, if this is you, now is the time. Seek help. Pick up Behind Closed Doors and read Chapter 6 to find out how to connect to services in a matter of life or death. I've been there. Hope is on the other side. All right. Well, it's time to welcome back to the show Pastor Brian from Bay Area Church in League City and Bay Area Christian School. Brian, welcome back. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Well, today we're talking about substance abuse, and there is a lot of debate about what addiction actually is. Some people think it's a choice or a habit, while healthcare communities tend to view it as a complex disease or illness. How do you think we should frame addiction in a spiritual context? Certainly, all these things are uh, attached. You can't separate spiritual, physical, emotional when it comes to addiction, in my opinion. And so we have to attack it from all of those angles. Uh, Addiction is real. It's very difficult to overcome. It's a struggle. Uh, It's a struggle for Christians and non-Christians. 
Um, there are simple physical explanations for addi addiction, but also very spiritual explanations for addiction. So I think we have to resist the tendency to detach it, to either make it all spiritual or all physical. And we talked about that before when we talked about mental health. These things are so complex because God made us as complex. But, you know, I think addiction has a way of hiding in church circles. It's easy to think of using drugs as something that happens in a seedy back alley. But in reality, people who struggle with addiction, they live and they work in our communities and they're in our churches. So how do you think sometimes the church contributes to stigma that creates more fear of asking for help? A couple of ways. I think a lack of authenticity uh, in the church can contribute to this. Like people think they have to somehow be perfect in the context of a church setting. And the reality is they don't. Uh, no one is perfect. People do struggle with things. And so when we sort of raise the bar and and pretend that nobody's struggling, uh, I think that contributes. Uh, I think not acknowledging that Christians, the church community is just as susceptible to drug addiction or any form of addiction as any other uh, any other group in the population. I think is a is a problem. We oftentimes see drug addiction or addiction as something that is happening out there in the world mm -hmm. when in reality it is happening in our congregations. And then our demonstration of grace, like when it actually does come up inside the church, uh, how we handle that preaches probably the greatest message uh, or the worst message mm -hmm. that we could ever uh, preach. And so when we do that right with grace and we really actually help people, uh, word gets out that this is a safe place, that you can be authentic, that you can uh, share your struggles and you'll find real help. And I think that's important. So that's one side of addiction, right? Helping the person who is struggling with addiction, which can be hard. But the fact is, addiction really hurts families mm -hmm. terribly, especially those families, I think, who are in the church and who are carrying that pressure to pretend that everything is normal. I know that was my experience. So I would love for you to speak to families who have just been through the ringer and the up and down cycles of addiction. They're going from hope to despair on a regular basis, and they're wondering how do they best love someone in that situation? Mm -hmm. First, I would like to say I'm sorry that you're going through that because it is the most painful of situations uh, to ride that roller coaster of addiction with someone that you love um, and care about, whether it's your spouse or your child or you yourself. It's very, very difficult. And I just am sorry that you're having to go through that. It's hard. And finding hope in the middle of having to relate, stay connected with someone who's struggling with addictions is uh, often very difficult. Um, so there are two things that I think about. One is that we have to zoom out uh, daily when we're in that kind of struggle from the standpoint of my life is not determined by the person who is struggling with addiction. I need to zoom out and hope in God look at my life from a 30,000 foot view instead of 
uh, focusing completely and totally and only on that person who's struggling with addiction because the dysfunction of that um, will suck the life out of you, will suck the hope out of you. And so you have to step back and you have to step back daily. That's a very intentional step. Um, otherwise, it will it will monopolize uh, your life. I think also important, and again, this is hard, but also very important are healthy boundaries. Um, a boundary, for lack of a better term, is a protective wall that you put up between you and another person to protect your own heart and or your own emotion, your own mental health, your own spiritual health. Um, an example might be uh, if you have someone who is uh, struggling with addiction, let's, let's just call it drug addiction in your family, that there's a time period during the day at which you're not going to answer your phone, you're not going to respond to texts, you're not going to wade into that after eight o'clock at night or something like that. And so you create boundaries to buy yourself solace and and they that's a that's a simple one. I mean, they could be they could be more, but it's important that you create boundaries. And finally, just uh, when you're struggling with a family member who has addiction, get help early and often. Uh, don't wait. Don't hide it. Don't um, pretend uh, that it's not a reality. Kind of try to jolt yourself out of denial really fast. Uh, and get help from people who really can help, both for you, the one who's dealing with uh, the child or the spouse or a friend that's struggling with addiction, and also for them. You're going to need uh, support. That is so refreshing to hear you t as a pastor talking about the importance of boundaries, because I think sometimes as Christians, we feel like we have to be there every single time, and that if you don't show up in that moment of crisis, it's unloving. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying is that's not true. I heard you say boundaries give you solace, and that was a really beautiful way to say that. Yeah, that is true and necessary. And, you know, recently, just actually in church last Sunday, we were singing the song about the goodness of God. And one of the lyrics in there is, all my life you have been faithful. Mm -hmm. And I thought about how hard that can be to sing if you really mean it. And you think back to the good parts of your life and the bad parts of your life. Maybe that is with someone who had addiction. How can we still find hope in the goodness of God, even when our situation is, seems hopeless? Mm -hmm. So finding hope in the goodness of God comes when we spend time with God. And it seems like a very simple churchy pastoral answer. But I've, I've learned that it's true in my own life, and I've learned that it's true in watching the experience of others. But if you can simply sit in quiet daily with God and His Word and prayer and hear from Him, there's something about our perfect Father that He is able to minister to your heart in a short amount of time in a way that nobody else is going to be able to do, and it literally bolsters hope, mm. hope for the day. I think about it like this often. God gives us just enough for the day. 
He works like this all of the time. In fact, Jesus said, when you pray, pray, give us this day our daily bread. It was provision for the day. And so you go back to him the next day for that provision of hope. Um, and this practice, this discipline of sitting with God, even in the midst of chaotic, tumultuous times in our life, like addiction, uh, is the thing that will give us hope. That is such a convicting mirror. I just had a little moment of aha because that's what we've been saying in these first few episodes of the podcast and what I say in Behind Closed Doors, that the only way to build a relationship with your kids is to invest your time. There's no way around it. And so now I'm thinking, I'm convicted, we need to reflect that back when we're thinking about spending time with our kids we in turn need to spend time with our Heavenly Father. And just as you described sitting in His presence, our kids sitting in our presence sometimes can have that same experience too, because God's mercies are new every morning. That's how often we need them, sometimes even more than that, I mm, think. For sure. Well, thanks for sharing these words of hope, Pastor Brian. I appreciate it so much. And I hope that everyone out there listening who may be struggling with this can find hope in the goodness of God. Thanks, Jessica. Well, that concludes Episode 7. This is another one where you might need to make a phone call and ask for some encouragement, prayer, and probably just another big hug from someone you love. We hope you join us next time. Here's your homework. Read Chapter 6 of Behind Closed Doors and do all the activities. Your legacy letter is an opportunity to serve as an eyewitness historian to preserve a victory you've seen in your teen's life. Second, find me on Spotify and check out the Victory-themed playlist. Last but not least, subscribe at drnursemama.com to access all the resources waiting just for you. See you next time on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, home of happy parents and healthy teens. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama show. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at drnursemama. You can find Pastor Brian at brianhaines.org or on Facebook at Dr. Brian Haynes. Tune in next time and invite a friend.